Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Overcoming adversity together. I'd rather not face it, but Jesus made clear that in this world, we're going to have trouble. It's not a question. It's just about how we're going to go through it and going through it together with Jesus at the helm, binding us and making us one. This is why Denver United exists. The church was born for such a time as this, and I'm so grateful to be walking through it with you all. I've loved the many opportunities over the course of the last week to run into you at the church-turned-food pantry in Wash Park, walking the dog and talking on the phone. I'm so grateful for the stories of how Jesus is meeting you and filling you with faith. Uh, it's been building me and my home up. I hope that, like us, you're starting to experience some of the redemptive upside of this shelter-in-place, stay-at-home time. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't wish for for sickness or uh, economic distress, but the part of it that's simple and um, just our family together at home. I'm not in a hurry to go back. I think God's doing something really neat in our home, and I hope that he is in yours as well. One of the things that's been really interesting to observe for us students of culture is how, I don't know if you've experienced this, but to me, it's never been easier to talk to a neighbor or, or even to a stranger that you encounter in the park. For the first time in my lifetime, all of us as human beings have something in common, right? Coronavirus is the great equalizer in a way. We all are thinking about it. Nobody at this point is unaware of its implications and there's virtually nobody whom it hasn't touched. You know, from Tom Hanks in Australia to Tina at the checkout stand at King Super, from Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, to your brother-in-law walking around Home Depot in a mask and gloves. Social distance is the order of the day. The stay-at-home directive and the uncertainty for the future that come with this season, they've reduced all of us to thinking and, and wondering and, and worrying about the same things. On the one hand, this is unifying, right? You have one touch point of commonality with every human being you encounter. But on the other hand, it's it's reducing in a way. The fear and the, the stripping away of much of what has made us us has many asking, who am I now? And that's our title for this morning. For many of us, the events of the last few weeks have amounted to a sort of existential crisis. You know, I was watching uh, a couple of interviews on ESPN and these NBA players, I and my family, uh, we're, we're basketball fans, uh, they're, they're in a, a time of soul searching. You know, they've been used to being wealthy and famous, to having cameras and microphones in front of them all the time and to being a bit of a big deal in their world. And now they're just 24-year-old guys sitting at home playing Xbox all day. And they're starting to wonder out loud, who am I? And I think all of us are having a version of that experience. You know, I once was... Uh, a contractor or a barber or a coach or a student. A month ago, I was a server. I was an interior designer. I was a small business owner. And now I'm not sure who I am. 
What does it mean to be me? And the Apostle Paul gives us some insight on this phenomenon. And so we're going to read that together. My daughter Ellie is going to read it for us this morning. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Thanks, honey. Verse 7, Paul writes, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And we're beginning Passion Week today. This is Palm Sunday. Across the world, believers and churches are turning our focus to Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his last week before he went to the cross for us. And Paul puts this last week into perspective, saying, I once thought that all that I was, all that substantiated my being, that was to my credit, all the feathers in my cap were what was significant about me, that they were valuable. But now he says, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And Passion Week is all about that. It's all about remembering what Christ has done. What Christ has done puts in perspective what we have done for better or for worse. Paul writes, I consider all those things worthless. It's not that they're unimportant all of a sudden, but rather that they lack the power to ascribe worth to me. Only Jesus has the power to do that. What Christ has done reframes who we are. You are not your achievements, your career, your failures, or your dreams. Thinking of ourselves this way, it works until it doesn't, right? It's kind of the ultimate primrose path. And that's what Paul describes. We get led down a road that seems affirming and fulfilling and right, but it's a trap. It's a, it's a Faustian bargain, isn't it? It ends up having the effect of making hard times even harder. I read an article last week about how alcohol use is skyrocketing in America. And this, of course, comes as no surprise as people have more time on their hands, they're worried and they're looking to self-medicate. But it also speaks to uh, the onset of, of a, a sort of field depression that comes in a moment for people who perhaps weren't struggling with that mental health battle before, but are being faced with everything that told them they were worthwhile. All the metrics of their value plummeting at once. So it's not just an economic recession, it's a self-worth recession. And when we're faced with that, coupled with the outside circumstances, uh, we 
end up in a funk and a depression. And it makes sense that addictive and self-medicating behaviors would skyrocket. But Jesus says, this has never been the way of things. It's not just that your endeavor failed, though, for many of us in this time. It's that you are a failure. That's the message, right? Not just that your idea didn't pan out, but you didn't pan out. That's the way this primrose path plays out. So every bump has a double impact, a double loss, if you will. The first is the loss that we're all experiencing of our normal and our safety and our predictable future. But the second is an inner personal specific loss, a loss of what has told us we're valuable. And the second loss for many of us is catastrophic. In verse 8, the passage reads, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Knowing Jesus reinforces that who I am is a son of God whom Jesus restored to his father. Knowing Jesus puts my worth into proper perspective. Remember in Galatians chapter four, we studied this a year ago. The Bible reads in verse four, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You and I have always been a child of God. You were made by God in his image for the glory of reflecting his light in this world. You were made as a daughter and a son of God. Our sin, our brokenness, our own selfish nature got in between that identity and how we experience ourselves. But what the word of God makes clear in this season for all seasons is you are not your career. And so you're not your unemployment right now. You are not your net worth. And so you're not your catastrophic portfolio losses. You are not your appearance. And so you're not your uh, quarantine cushion, right? That's coming from being stuck at home and eating a lot of comfort foods. Who you are is a child of the most high. You are a beloved of your father and you are an heir to the kingdom of heaven. In Romans chapter eight, the Bible reads, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else as well? This is who we are. God made clear by giving the life of his son. This is what we reflect on. This is that to which we turn our focus during Passion Week in order to reunite us with not just God, but with us to restore the true, rightful, long-term, lasting, recession-independent us. See, we're resilient to the ups and downs of fear and economic struggle and uncertainty for the future because who we are is pinned to a gold standard, the ultimate gold standard of eternity. We are the children of the King. And this is who we've always been. Jesus came into your life and revealed it and set our identity to rights. And no hardship can change that. 
no economic struggle, no loss of employment, no sitting home without gainful purpose and wondering what tomorrow is going to look like. No struggle or shutdown or societal shift can touch that. It is who you are. In Romans 8, the word of God continues, who then will condemn us? No one, least of all ourselves. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? See, friends, it's the love of God, that which endures, has been from the beginning and will be always. God's unchanging, irreversible, unassailable love. It's a love that an economic recession can't touch. It's a love that a a viral pandemic can't touch. It's a love that no change of circumstance on planet Earth can even come close to. It's the gold standard of our identity. And he says, no, despite all these things, whatever hardship we're facing, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, from this source of constant value. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, like Paul, we can go through what the world is experiencing as an existential crisis. We can suffer the loss of all things and yet not come unglued. But to do that, he points out there is a second loss, right? He says, I have suffered the the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. So there is the experience of the loss of our income, our employment, perhaps our identity to much of the watching world. But then there is the inner loss. There is the the mental loss, the reckoning of those things, not as precious, invaluable, and needing to be gotten back as soon as possible, lest I can go back to being fulfilled, but counting the things we lost as rubbish. How easily, friends, we can square with the losses themselves, but find ourselves perhaps even subconsciously, still savoring the idea of them. I think this is the harder loss, right? The loss of the stuff is one thing, but the loss of the ideal, the holding out of hope that one day soon the government's going to get this figured out. They'll find those masks buried beneath Cheyenne Mountain or something like that. The economy will recover. I'll get my job back. I'll be prosperous once again, and then I'll feel good about myself. Yes, we can get through the loss of everything. But it's another challenge yet to consider it as rubbish. What loss we've been forced by circumstance to accept, friends. It's not merely spilled milk not to be cried over. All that we once held as precious collectively is garbage 
scripture says, and its ability ever to ascribe value to your soul. It never has had the power to tell you who you are, and it does not have that power now. Only Jesus can do that. But once we really grasp this, once we suffer the second loss along with the first, we have the power truly to succeed. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. In verse 10, Paul summarizes the power of this passage in Philippians 3 by saying, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And lots of us identify with the heart of that passage. I want to know Christ, yeah, and experience the power of the resurrection, that same mighty power that raised him from the dead. Woohoo! I want to suffer with him. Hmm, not sure about that. And share in his death. Hmm, no thanks, man, I'm good. But Paul says these come together. They are all part and parcel of the whole that is knowing Jesus so that when I get to the end, I rise with Christ and he is the firstborn from among the dead. We're gonna talk about that next week on Resurrection Sunday. I'm gonna be a close second so that as the kingdom is coming and he is making all things new and he's restoring his creation to himself, I don't get left behind with the wreckage. I'm getting restored with Christ too. I want to know that power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want it to raise me from the dead. I want it to raise my heart and teach it to feel the way God designed it to. I want to raise it. I want it to raise my mind and teach it to think the way God gave me the mind of Christ to think. I want my being to thrive. I want my influence to increase exponentially. I want to live like Jesus. And so I want to die like Jesus. I want to lose everything like Jesus. And this is Passion Week. This is where we are. And this is why each year we pause and slow down and narrow our focus and walk carefully to the cross with our Savior. It's called Passion Week because we not only remember Christ's passion, so-called, his suffering and his rejection, his loneliness, his reckoning with being forsaken. We not only recognize and remember it, but we experience it as well. And so let me challenge you as we begin this Passion Week, decentralized but one in heart and spirit. Friends, would you walk slowly with Jesus this week? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That's what Paul wrote. Are you willing to suffer with Jesus? As 21st century Americans, even going through the crisis of our age, many of us are squeamish about suffering. We don't suffer well because it hasn't been required of us. It's not part of our culture. And for most of us, it hasn't been part of our life. And so 
to understand what it means to want to suffer with Christ is elusive. I don't really know what I'm even asking. I'm not sure that if I knew that's what I was signing up for, I would have said yes to this thing. Today is Palm Sunday and churches the world over are reading the scriptures that describe the Lord Jesus riding triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of the end to start his life's final week before he died on the cross for you and me. And as you know, the story goes, they laid their coats down and waved palm branches. That's where Palm Sunday gets its name. And they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king of kings. They gave praise to him, but in truth, they didn't quite know what it was they were doing. They were cheering because they thought he was coming in like a conquering hero and he was going to end the oppression of the vicious Roman regime and he was going to institute a religious rule. But Jesus, no sooner than he arrives and the echoes of the cheering fade, rather than turning left and heading for the palace where he announced the overthrow, he turned right and went to the temple and took it straight at them. Those who were zealous for God and their religion. And he openly defied them. And he ratcheted up the intensity of the confrontation throughout the course of this week until finally the same ones who cheered Hosanna were yelling crucify by the end of the week. This was the road that our Savior walked. And he invites us to walk it with him. Will you join me in that this week? Though we can't come together at the church to celebrate the stations of the cross and remember Jesus in his sufferings day by day and step by step, we're going to do it virtually through devotions, through our podcast, and through our virtual Good Friday gathering for family night. It's going to be this Friday instead of Wednesday. We're going to walk slowly with Jesus and discover what it means to know Christ that's how we find our true and lasting value. That's how we discover who we really are. But to know Christ and to experience the power that raised him from the dead is to suffer with him. Will you join me in that this week? The context of our society's suffering makes this a little more conducive time to feeling what our Savior felt. Will you seek empathy with Jesus and become like him at his death? In Romans 6, the scripture reads, since we have been united with him in his death, like we've been talking about this morning, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So we might rather so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. As we're here in worship and in unity, looking at the word of God and building ourselves up in faith this morning, it occurs to me that there are many in our society, many among us perhaps. Maybe you saw this broadcast or were invited to check it out and you've joined with us this morning. And this idea is foreign. Friends, Everyone who's walked away from God is a slave to that which we have walked toward. 
Scripture teaches that, but I hardly need a theology professor to make it make sense because I know my own heart and I know the way I lived for far too long. But Jesus Christ came to the earth, identified with all of our suffering and died on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven and free, free of that slavery, free of that bondage. Free not only from that, but free to be the person whom God created us to be. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You're not merely a product of biological chance, and you haven't gone too far. Maybe you're like, Pastor, that's good for you. That's good for the faithful that are listening this morning, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And it's true, I don't, but God does. And he sent Jesus as a message to you to say, there's nowhere you've gone that is too far from my love. There's nothing you've done that is out of reach of my redemption. Jesus died so that you and I can live. And the best part about it is it's simply opening a present, receiving something that was done for us, that we couldn't do for ourselves. It was done for us precisely for that reason in saying, yes, Jesus. And since we die with Jesus, all of us who say, you know what? I can't do it on my own. I lack that power. I've grown weary trying to fake it. When we give our lives to Jesus, we know that we will also live with him. So I'd like to invite you this morning uh, to join us in life in Jesus. There's room in the family of God for you. Mari's going to join me, and we'd like just to, to, to share life in God and, and in the family of God with you. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much that you have invited us into your life to share in life with you. And God, um, as you have called us, Lord, into that place, Lord, you've also called us into that suffering with you, Lord. And God, we thank you that suffering is not the end of the story. God, that you suffered, Lord, so that resurrection could come. And so, God, we, we thank you that this wasn't just for you, God. You, you paid the ultimate price. But God, then you invited us in to share in that with you, God, so that in our suffering, we could have hope that there is a resurrection on the other side of our suffering. And so God, right now, um, we, we open our lives to receive that gift that you have given us, Lord. And we, sh we enter into that suffering. Lord, we, we understand portions of that in this world, in this life right now. But God, we enter into the fullness of dying to who we are, God, letting go of our identity, letting go of who we are in this world, God, so that we can receive our true identity as daughters and sons of, of yours, God. And so we, we die to our this earthly shell and we receive the good gift of sonship to be a daughter in your kingdom, to be a son in your kingdom. And God, would you resurrect us with you, Lord? Lord, forgive us today of our sin, cleanse our hearts, and Lord, we take on the person of Christ and we choose to follow you today, to surrender our agenda 
and to, to become disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for cleansing our hearts. Thank you for making us new again. We receive this gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mari. And we're so grateful for your joining us. If you're visiting with us, if you are not part of a church family, if it's been a long time since you've um, been to church or maybe you've never experienced uh, community in God, uh, we'd love to have you as a part of this family. Know that there's room here for you and we're so grateful for your being with us. Hey, I want from one of our missions partners. As you heard Pastor George give an update about what's going on um, in the Denver United food pantry world as we've pivoted, repurposed that building and turned it into a distribution center. And so many of you this week um, got extra groceries and supplies and dropped them off. And we're so grateful for that. That uh, operation is ramping up and taking off at just the right time as so many people are experiencing profound need. Pastor Yesupadam over in India, one of our missions partners, sent this message. Dear beloved brother and sister, Pastor Rob Brendel, many greetings from all of us at Kathleen Home. That's the name of their children's home, which their church sponsors. We're so humbled to announce that we will be doing relief work in regards to COVID-19, where we are praying to reach and stand for the poor and destitute at this time of crisis. As we are under lockdown for the past 15 days with absolutely no work and shops running in India. It has become hard as most of our people live from paycheck to paycheck. Because of this, it has led millions of poor people into poverty. Mm -hmm. This means people are having one meal every two days. Mm -hmm. In times of crisis, we as God's children wanted to stand in the gap by being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We are planning to do relief work on Tuesday, April 4th, distributing food to poor and destitute families that will last for three days. Please stand in the gap and keep us all in your prayers. We are victorious. We appreciated and love you so much. Our love to all the Denver United family, your brother and sister in his harvest, Pastor and Mrs. V. Yesupadam. And how encouraging to know that all around the world, people are joining together in solidarity and doing the same things using the church for what it was created to be, a source of practical hope. He talked about being the hands and feet of Jesus, the very same thing we talked about last week. And it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yes. You know, here in Denver, um, lots of us are experiencing hardship and many profound need. There in India, in two weeks of lockdown, People who are already living on the margins are falling into abject poverty, such, they're eating, such that they're eating one meal every two days. And I just wanted to remind you that as we are working together here to bring hope and genuine help to people in Denver, starting in our own church family and then to our partner communities in Lincoln Park and the surrounding schools and beyond, over in India and elsewhere in the world, our partners in Christ, whom we support by our faithful worship giving, are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to take a moment and tell you thank you. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, there's been a lot that has surprised me and humbled me over the last two weeks. This has been a time that in my life and in my adult life and leadership um, career, totally unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Chief among those surprises has been the outpouring of generosity and the faith mm -hmm. that, that bespeaks. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for your continued 
feeling sacrificial giving. As you give to God, remember, you're not giving this to me or to Mari. This is the storehouse, but God is the one who is the provider in every way in our lives. He's the one that promises to guard us and protect us. And it's him we're giving to. And it's an expression of worship. Sacrifice is at the heart of worship. And never has that felt more sacrificial for me and I suspect for many of you than now. Meanwhile, as you continue faithfully to trust God for your provision and give sacrificially, the joy, the worship that that shows is, is building this community up and the practical opportunity that you're creating for us to partner with and empower Pastor Yesu Padam in India. Uh, gosh, our partners all over the world in Syria. Can you imagine in Lebanon on the Syrian border, the those who are already living in such poverty in those Syrian refugee camps and our partners there leading a church of newly converted Muslims. Can you imagine the suffering that's happening as this global pandemic and sh economic shutdown hits them? And to be the church bringing the hope of Jesus into that dark place, into this dark time, right. as we're doing in Denver. Amazing. We honor you. We are so grateful for you. Yeah. And we ask that you continue uh, to trust God and seek him and those of us who are able uh, to give generously. Some of you, I think, have given more generously to the Lord this month in a time of greater need because you're provided for. And the scripture that we read a couple weeks ago, you're living out literally. Those of you who have two shirts, give one to those who have none. And uh, so this week, our food pantry at Denver United is ramping up. I'm so excited to see the few of you that I have when I was there Friday and to hear the reports and see the pictures of so many of you um, going to Target or to King Supers, getting a few extra things as you brave the um, this, this health environment and get things for your family and then dropping them off. We've been giving it away as fast as it's been coming in. We were able this week to employ the first of our church family uh, who was furloughed during this crisis or laid off. And we're looking at a couple more in the same way to organize and, and step up our systems for receiving, for inventorying, storing, and then distributing the food and supplies that you're bringing in this week. We're going to add increased um, capacity to receive more types of supplies. We're hoping to be able to receive fresh food. We know that there's a lot of need, particularly in the, in the immigrant and refugee communities that our partners serve for that. And so looking forward to that. Thank you for being a part of it. We want to pray over you and just pray a blessing over you and over our gifts as we give that God would do what he said he would do and multiply those back to you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our friends. We pray for our church family and we thank God, Lord, in this house every time we remember them. We thank you for their faith. We thank you for uh, their trusting in you for their provision. And Lord, we pray as we give today, this week, this month, however you've en enabled us to give and with the faith you give us, Lord, no compulsion, no pressure, simply responding to your promise and your invitation. Lord, we know we can't outgive you. And I pray that you would do now above all times what you've promised, that you would open the floodgates and we would see you pour out so much provision that we can't contain it. Would you bless my friends that they would be able to be a blessing to this church family, to the city of Denver, to Pastor Yesu Padam's community in India and to the farthest reaches of the earth. Lord, we thank you for this 
promise. We thank you for how we're seeing it played out. We thank you for our friends, this wonderful church family, and we bless them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, we love you so much. God bless you this week as you continue to seek him, seek creative ways to connect with one another. Don't give up meeting with one another. Figure out Zoom. Jump on the podcasts and the read the devos and let's engage with one another. We look forward to seeing you Friday night for a very special Good Friday family night. Have an amazing week and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 